Good morning. I uh, understand the responsibility to be standing in this three-foot area and um, proclaiming the Word of God. And uh, obviously, I'm going to remain nervous because of that. Um, but I'm not going to be nervous because of you, because I'm not just in front of friends, I'm in front of family. So, And I appreciate those that uh, have prayed for me ahead of this. Um, when we speak about Advent, we speak about the coming of Jesus into the world. And the scripture we read today heralds that coming of a king and the comfort we receive through his good news. Last week, Tony, Pastor Tony spoke from Isaiah 9, and he talked about hope. You know, not an earthly hope uh, where we, you know, hope for something or wish for something, but a confident expectation. The prophet Isaiah went from judgment in Isaiah 8 to hope in Isaiah 9. God was going to redefine the future by his grace, by his grace instead of man's actions. Those that love the Lord would be have the confidence because their hope did not lie in their success or failure, but in God's grace. God spoke in the past tense about the doom and defeat that would come upon his people Israel in the future. God had decided from the beginning how he was going to save his people. For unto us a child is born, Christ Jesus. And through this king he would, who pays the price for our transgressions, we would find peace. And there would be no condemnation to those who love the Lord. My future's fixed because of what Christ did, not because of what I did or didn't do. God wants to provide the way. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now follow along with me as I read from our scripture today, and that's Isaiah 40, 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the, God, the, glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald the good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the city of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord come with might and in his arms rules with him. Beyond his, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne of grace. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, that I, I pray that 
Everything that I say and meditations of our heart are acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever tried to comfort somebody that was really going through some really, really difficult times? I mean, they're truly suffering and like, there just seems to be like no end in sight to their misery. You know, maybe it's somebody that has lost a loved one and they just feel completely alone. Or somebody that might be like financially strapped and they don't know if everything they worked for all their lives they're going to lose. Or maybe it's a child who, you know, feels they were abandoned by their father, you know, through divorce or something like that. When I was 10, um, I witnessed my parents' uh, marriage crumble. You know, my mother was desperately trying to hang on to the relationship with my dad. And for the most part, they had never fought in front of us. We didn't see any of that except one occasion. And this occasion was so vivid in my mind. It's like it happened yesterday. Um, the younger five, I say the younger five because there was ten of us. But the younger five were at home and we were all in the living room. My mom was ironing and they were fighting. And my mom was singing in a loud voice a song that was theirs. Some of you know this song from the Andrews sisters. Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me. And I remember my dad looking out and saying, look how ridiculous she's being. And I was looking at both of them as if we weren't there. And it was probably the first time that I felt really alone because here's these two people that, you know, they were everything, you know, everything they said. And I never witnessed this before. And I just felt like when my dad finally left, totally abandoned, I think, how, how could you leave? Don't you love us? And we all, we try to comfort people with words of encouragement. Um, and just sometimes the words just seem to ring hollow. In fact, sometimes they are, they're patronizing or seem to be. And it's times like this, we just had some really good news that we could bring to them just to lift them up and to bring them and comfort them in the midst of their misery. In our scripture, the audience of Isaiah are God's people and they're exiles in a foreign land. You know, Judah had been carried away. They had been suffering from the judgment that Isaiah had prophesied because they turned away from their God for generations, they did not heed the warnings of their uh, of the prophets. They are exiles in Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. And in Isaiah 39, 5 through 7, the prophet had warned King Hezekiah of the impending doom. He said this, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of the king of Babylon. Now, this is really not part of what I'm speaking about today. I want you to hear Hezekiah's response to this news. Keep in mind, Hezekiah was a good king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, "The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will peace, there will be peace and security in my days." When I read this, it's kind of like he's saying, sorry about your luck, kids. I'm good. You know, um, and remember, Hezekiah is a good father, but how can a father not be upset 
that his sons would be carried away as eunuchs in a household of a conquering nation. What a drastic comparison we have an earthly king, again, a good king, to the king of kings who cares for his flock like a shepherd. Now, in Isaiah 40, these exiles in Babylon will hear the message of comfort. Isaiah had paid the price, or excuse me, Israel had paid the price for iniquity, double the price for their sins against God. Their punishment punish wouldn't be suffering. It's, it's not about suffering, but it's about redemption. This reference of paying double does not mean they were going to pay twice as much as they sinned, but rather they were going to pay twice as much as what, the, what was warranted of that sin. Twice what a Greek or a pagan would receive, for example, because they knew better. You know, it's like uh, a couple of kids, both two brothers, both have their hands in the cookie jar, and the parents catch them. The older dr- brother gets the bigger brunt of the uh, penalty because he's older. He should have known better. And that's the situation here. But you can you imagine just this comforting news? Because we're talking about 50 years, and then some of these people would have grown up in this captivity, you know, been born into this. And then to hear, it's all about to change. They paid the penalty. And the door, you know, it was going to be completely different. And they were going to be set free of the bondage and the trials that resulted from their disobedience. The gates were going to be swung wide open. The penalty has been paid. And now their king's going to come and lead them home. God will now move from judgment to salvation, to, excuse me, to salvation. God has not forgotten them. They're still his people. The covenant he made with their ancestors at Mount Sinai are still in force. You know, like the prodigal in a far country, they are reminded that they have a father that still loves them. Barry Webb, he's an author of a book called The Message of Isaiah, says this about Isaiah 40. The opening chapter of uh, 40 is like an overture of a great musical composition. All the major themes which the following chapters will develop so powerfully get their exploratory treatment here. Comfort, atonement, the way of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, the power of the word of God, the city of God, the might and the tenderness of Zion's Savior. You know, this had to leave just the hearers of this prophecy filled with expectation that a new movement in God's dealings with his people was about to unfold. For the audience as exiles, they will hear a voice, to them presumably a prophet, will cry in the wilderness that they should prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord must make themselves ready for the arrival of the Lord. People must be. This is a vivid image is painted about making this road smooth for the Lord. It's like the ancients of the East would, uh, the heralds or harbingers would go out and they would announce it through this wilderness that their king was coming and they were to prepare, prepare themselves for this. Um, and they would, that the king was going to come through this barren and inhospitable wilderness, imploring the people to make the road smooth, build bridges that they had to cut through the mountains, fill in the valleys if necessary, and forge places over waterways. The people were going to prepare themselves through repentance thus making the road smooth to the king. This allegory kind of reminded me of um, Daniel Boone, you know, his party of woodsmen blazing the wilderness tra- uh, trail through the Cumberland Gap. Now, I loved the series Daniel Boone. How, how many people ever saw that series? Okay, all right. 
for me, there's only one guy that's Daniel Boone, and that was Fess Parker. Yeah, there is no other guy. I think Fess Parker, I, I don't think Daniel Boone was as good a Daniel Boone as Fess Parker was a Daniel Boone. That's my opinion. I mean, he had that voice. He had that, uh, that look. You know, it's funny, when Bob was singing, I said, well, okay, maybe Bob could be the next Daniel Boone, because he has that voice too. But uh, I love the series, and like I said, it was neat. Um, but in 1775, Boone had led this party of 30 expert woodsmen. Less than a month, they marked 200 miles of trail, you know, through Virginia, through the Cumberland Gap, far into Kentucky. And that trail became known as the Wilderness Road. And this road was widened and improved over the years until it was abandoned in the 1840s. But even its best, it was only a set of ruts through the woods, which over 300,000 settlers had flooded. Daniel Boone was a forerunner. And in verse 4, the forerunner or herald is telling the people to prepare their hearts and minds for the king. He's saying, bring down any lofty opinions, remove any habits or conduct, tear down any pride, self-confidence the nation, uh, that the nation would prevent this cordial reception of the king. Get prepared to meet the king. Verse 5 tells us that the arrival of the king, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and that all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And it's not just the exiles of the remnant this time. But God's going to now reveal his glory to all flesh, Hebrew and Greek. This revelation would have been new. So he's figure, how could they trust it? Because it came to the mouth of the world, of God. You see, God's words like himself. It's trustworthy. The promise of the re- this revelation is guaranteed by the one who made the promise. The Lord himself. And this prophecy in Isaiah 40 is one of comfort. God promises the good news of comfort to his exiled people when his glory is revealed in the arrival of the Lord. And Mark 1, 1 through 4, identifies John as that forerunner, John the Baptist. As the one who cried in the wilderness, uh, prepare the way of the Lord. But Mark also shows in this message that Isaiah 40 is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want, you can turn with me. But this is what Mark says. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In Mark 1, 1 through 3, links Malachi 3, 1 with Isaiah 43 to show that the ministry of John the Baptist is the sign that Isaiah 40 is fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ says in Malachi, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the, way, prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. John the Baptist is that voice crying in the wilderness, and Jesus brings us comfort of the good news, the gospel that he proclaims in his misery, in his ministry. Isaiah even states in verse 9, he says, herald the good news. And this good news should be a comfort to all who know the Lord. Because this good news that we have about our king, 
who came and suffered on the cross for our iniquity. And with his death and resurrection, we believe on him. And now we're free from the bondage of sin. And that he did it all. He finished it. According to Mark, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the glory of the Lord revealed. This is the comforting good news that should be heralded. Now we live on this side of Isaiah 40. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Excuse me. The Lord has arrived and his name is Jesus. He cares for us like a shepherd. He gathers us in his arms. And he carries us in his bosom and gently leads those who are young or with young. And that meaning those that are weak. This picture of our king, the king that John the Baptist spoke about. This arrival of Jesus is God's proclamation of comfort through his gospel. That all who believe in him will be forgiven and will be cared for forever. John the Baptist's ministry of repentance and baptism was exclusive and it was specific to Israel's preparation for her Messiah. His ministry of preparation, his ministry ended in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The ministry of Jesus to Israel becomes the gospel for the whole world through his death, resurrection, and ascension. And his sending of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts so that the church could spread beyond and outside of Jerusalem. And while his ministry, what God called John to do, is finished, it doesn't negate him, does it? Even John himself said, he must increase while I decrease. John speaks of Jesus' increase and his own decrease, not only what is necessary and unavoidable and unstoppable, but is highly just and also agreeable to John. His mission as a forerunner um, to proclaim the coming of the Lord has ended because the, the Lord... The king has arrived. Now we have the gospel of Jesus Christ because it was revealed to all flesh. For the mouth of God is spoken. What's say in Isaiah 6, it reads, the voice said, it doesn't say it, it says a voice said. Or a voice said, cry. And this is a different voice. This voice they're talking about now. It would have said the voice if we referred back to John. But this is a voice cried. This is the voice of God. He tells him to cry. He's telling him to comfort my people. You know, having a view, having with a comfort them, commissioning his prophet to foretell glorious and wonderful things, which he determined to do for them. He here commands him to assure them that of certain things, by representing the vast differences between the nature, word, and work of men and those of God, that all men are, yea, their highest accomplishments are but like grass or flower of the field, weak and vanishing, soon nipped and brought to nothing. But God's word is like himself, immutable, irresistible. And therefore, as the mouth of the Lord and not man had spoken this, as was said in Isaiah 45, so that they ought not doubt that it would be fulfilled in due time. The word of the Lord is not like man's. God's word stands forever. And the prophet put an emphasis on this because he repeats it again in verse 8. Excuse me. The good news should be shouted from a mountaintop. Our voices lifted up. 
You know, what do we have to fear? Behold our God. Verse tells us that our God comes with might. His arm rules for him. He brings his reward with him. Jesus is the reward. His life, death, and resurrection and ascension to heaven paved the way for us. He paid a ransom for the sin that only he alone could do. And Jesus is now our forerunner, our path to everlasting life. And while he is all powerful, he tends his flock like a sheep, like a shepherd. He gathers us in his arms, his powerful, mighty arms, and he carries us close to his bosom. And he gently leads the young, or those with young, those that are weak. God promised the good news of comfort in Isaiah 40. His glory is revealed in the arrival of his son, Jesus, the Messiah. And Mark tells us that the good news is the gospel. That gospel brings comfort to a broken people. You know, sometimes we lose focus of that. And this proclamation, I mean, God was, he was so excited to tell it. This story, uh, you know, in Isaiah 40, after all that has happened prior to this, and, is, and again, 40 leads into the rest of Isaiah. He was so excited. He's telling them, cry, go to a mountaintop, herald that news. God brings this glory that was revealed in the arrival of his son, Jesus Christ. And Mark tells us that this good news is the gospel, that the gospel brings that comfort. And sometimes, like I said, we lose focus with that. And we're distracted. The world, you know, has so many problems and things that are happening that are in front of us that we tend to lose focus of this glorious news. I mean, we think about what those people heard in their time, the exiles, that the doors were going to be swung wide open. But what about the news that we got? That forever we're going to be with this mighty God because of what he did for us. I mean, that news should be heralded. We, we should be like God wanting to, you know, he say, he was excited to get that news out. We should have that same excitement to do that as well. I, I want you to do an exercise with me. Put your hand straight out, your right hand straight out. And then lift your forefinger to the sky. Look at your finger. Okay, you see it's in focus and everything behind it is out of focus. Now look past your finger and focus in the background. And then the finger comes out of focus. And then back to your finger. And everything in the background comes out of focus. It reminds you the song lyrics. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. In light of his fullness and grace. Remember to focus on the Lord. Keep your head in the clouds. Walk through the wilderness as though your home is not here because it's not. We who belong to God are sojourners, and we are comforted in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for who you are. For this beautiful news, this wonderful news that was brought forth by John the Baptist, who went before you proclaiming, Lord. And Lord, now we have your gospel. Now we have your word that you'll be with us forever. And those that love you, Lord, will be with you for all time. Because of what you've done for us. Lord, help us to remember to focus on you. 
keep our eyes lifted up. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for the people in it, the family of God here. We ask you to be with those that couldn't be with us this morning and all those that Dave prayed for this morning. We just thank you for who you are and your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Now, as June comes and plays, if you don't, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you got to hear this wonderful news. That's for you. Now's the time. You don't have to come down if you don't want. That's where you're at. Ask Jesus in your heart. Let Him be that Lord that saves. Because He is. Like I said, if you're already a child of God and you, you want to come down and pray, you want uh, someone to pray with you, I'll be happy to pray with you. Our pastor emeritus or any of our deacons. Or anyone that's beside you. But come as we uh, sing our song of invitation. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I ask you to be with all these as they leave this morning. Give them traveling grace. Give traveling grace to our pastor, those with him. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. You're saving Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.